Doing it live on a Tuesday, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, uh, back in the saddle, Uncle Bobo, on a on a Tuesday, and uh, we've got a lot to do. Um, let me just let's off the top. If you were to ask me a month ago that if the middle of July we would be doing uh, Spielman against Ohio State in a lawsuit, <laughs> Scooney Penn on the Ohio State basketball staff, and the resurrection of John Diebler in American basketball, and the yeah. season premiere of Game of Thrones, like all of these things are going to be discussed. Over the next 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how long we go on Game of Thrones, which frankly, we'll have to check ourselves, buddy, because we might be able to do a whole hour on that by ourselves. We may yeah. have to monitor that. Uh, I'm just going to retitle it. the dubcast. It's fine. <laughs> game of dubcast or something. Should, I don't know. We should do game of dubcast. We should actually record right after Sunday's episode. Like, like We should, actually. And then do it right there. Instant reaction, like a 20-minute mini pod. Maybe we'll do yeah. that. That's not a bad um, idea. Uh, usually it takes me at least 20 minutes to wrap my mind around everything that happened. But we'll get to Thrones in a second, so if you're not into it, it's not coming until the end. Let's start with uh, Buckeye on Buckeye Crime. So yeah. when I saw this on Friday, um, if you were to say to me, Bo, I'll give you a million things that are going to happen involving Ohio State and Chris Spielman today, that would not be one of my million guesses. That, that Chris Spielman <laughs> would file a lawsuit against Ohio State and IMG. And furthermore, that Archie... Griffin, of all people, would support him in that lawsuit. Now, you can say that there are former Buckeyes who are as beloved as Archie Griffin and Chris Spielman, but you cannot say that there are former Buckeyes more beloved than Archie Griffin and Chris Spielman. Would you agree with that statement, that they are among a dozen or so players that are universally beloved? I, I mean, I think you could even say like the top five. I, I don't. I mean, it, it, Chris Spielman represents everything that's like gritty and tough and angry about Ohio State football. And then Archie is it's Archie. He's he's number one. I don't think you can you know put anybody above him. So, yeah, if you do a Mount Rushmore, Archie's George Washington. Right. Me. Yeah. Like even no, more than like, Woody. More. I mean, he is the symbol of Buckeye of all that the Buckeye football program can be. Right. I mean, that's. That's who it is. He's the guy. So the fact that he supported Chris after, you know, 30 plus years at least of working in the athletic department is that's big. Um, okay. So what this to me is about very simply, and if you're listening to this podcast, you already kind of know the nuts of the bolts of this thing. So we don't need to go through that again. This is very clearly to me, Johnny, not about this money. And Spielman and his uh, attorneys, the people he's working with, were very smart to say, we're going to give the money back to the Ohio State Athletic Department. That makes it's a very magnanimous play. Mm -hmm. But what it really is about is the next money. It's about Chris Spielman and former players being able to profit and most importantly, have control of their Ohio State likeness for commercial purposes going forward and to have some say in that. And I think it would be hard pressed to find anybody who supports Ohio State, or very few, who would not see some, would not be in some agreement with that premise, that they are owed something and should have some say over the way that Ohio State sells their image. Now, the hook in this, and I think what you will see over the coming weeks, days, weeks, and months, is that you will see some of these guys try to spin this as if this is a lawsuit against IMG and not Ohio State. Well, really, we're mad at IMG. And the yeah. one thing I would caution you about that is, is Ohio State is IMG and IMG is Ohio State. Right. IMG went to, I work now, I have unique perspective on this. The first radio I did in Columbus was with Chris Spielman and I worked <laughs> for IMG in Ohio State for eight years. So I know both pretty well. When, uh, when Ohio State does a deal with IMG, 
IMG comes in and says, we're going to pay you X amount of money and we want this. And Ohio State says, sure, for that amount of money, you can have it all. So IMG has, in, I'm sure this is contractually backed up, has every right to essentially the Ohio State library mm-hmm. to do with and sell as they please because they paid an arm and a leg for it. And so I, I think it's important because I think IMG will be painted as the bad guy in this. And there's a lot more shades to gray than that, than to just paint. They're, they're going to be a convenient target in this. But Ohio State agreed to this deal. And I could see both Ohio State and the Spielman camp both painting IMG as the bad guy. And IMG is the marketer. And they paid a lot of money for a product. And part of that product is the backlog. It's the library. Yeah, it's the it's the archives, right? It's it's That's literally right. all exactly that right. Yeah, it's it's what Ohio State's accumulated over the decades that they can just farm, and that's right. That's the agreement. Um, and, but that the larger point that you made that I think is really critical for people to understand is that this is specifically an Ohio State deal. This is not something where you can separate the two entities because this is you know if Ohio State wanted to alter it, you know, and and maybe respect some of the wishes of the players and whatnot, they could have easily done that, but. That's not how the agreement was set up. And this is as much a lawsuit against Ohio State as IMG. And I know that maybe some people want to split hairs because they feel bad about it, but it's not. You are absolutely right about that. And I think that's one of the critical parts of this story that people need to understand. Um, It's going to be convenient for all parties to put this. It's going to be convenient for people on Ohio State side to say, hey, this is really about IMG. It's going to be convenient for Spielman and his camp to say this is really about IMG. No, no, no. IMG and Ohio State are the same. Yeah. It's important, I think, that you realize that. Now, you want to live in a glass house and act like it's not, that's fine. But that's it. That's what this is really about. And the other thing about this is I know for a fact that what Ohio State and IMG do together around the Ohio State campus and how IMG markets Ohio State around the, to, to profit is mirrored at many of their other institutions. Yes. I yes. would bet you that if you went to Clemson, for example, you would see... Woody Dantzler or some Clemson great with a Honda tag underneath his banner down mm-hmm. there, or you would have until this weekend anyway, when they probably rushed to take them all down. Um, <laughs> but, but that's why this is just the, the, the can of worms here, my friend is enormous. And yeah. if Ohio state goes and starts to try and make settlements with this, it will lead all other across the country to do the same. And that's why this, I think will go to court. I don't think you'll see a settlement with this. I think Chris Spielman wanted a certain amount for this, and Ohio State said no and offered a lot, lot less, and Chris said, I'll see you in court, and that's where we are. And I think this will yeah. go to court. Because the precedent, to court. Here, the precedent here that could be set changes the dynamic of marketing college football going forward entirely. Yeah, yeah I, I, think it, I think it has to go to court. I think when you have an issue this big and this important, you need to have it litigated because, I mean, if Chris Spielman you know, gets a contract with – Chevy or you know some other kind of he's a Mazda endorser yeah right exactly he cannot have his image being used at a competitor that's that's that limits his ability as a non-athlete I mean he's been out of the game for decades uh to to profit off his own image this is not something that should be punitive if you're if you're a college athlete you should not face a punitive punitive uh permanent situation where you can't profit off your own image or you're being restricted to do that because of the way that Ohio State has set up their, uh, you know, the rights that they give to IMG. To me, that's something that has to be litigated and discussed in court because it is clearly something where you've got a legitimate grievance on the part 
of Chris Spielman. And you've also got a legal binding contract on the part of ING in Ohio State. You, you have to figure out some way to mediate that. I'm personally on the side of, of Chris Spielman on this because I don't think that any entity should be able to own your right or your image, the rights to your image in perpetuity, right, until you right. die essentially just because you played football with them, you know, for a few years yeah. in the 1980s. So, but again, I don't know how it will shake out in court, um, you know, Obviously, when you're a college athlete, you're you're signing into a contract that says that your image can be used in any number of ways. I just feel that for Ohio State to have the ability to do that forever, essentially, uh, right. really strikes me the wrong way. And I can totally understand why Chris Bion would be upset about it. Yeah. So you take this thing a step further and you say, I mean, I think the other thing that will be brought up and this will be a moral code. There will be, you know, because alcohol is quickly going into college athletics. Yeah at a rapid pace. Yes. Um, I think you could easily see Coors Light silver bullets in a picture of Jack Tatum. I mean, I think that's <laughs> such a natural, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody's working on that already. Yeah. Um, or was until this happened. And I could yeah. see how somebody who is, let's say they don't believe in alcohol or don't consume it. They don't want to be tied to Coors Light. I mean, I could sure. see that happening. Um, so I think that'll be part of this. There's a lot of ways to play it. I think what this inevitably gets to is, we had the Ed O'Bannon case, which took away the video game and mm-hmm. was part of the reason that schools stopped selling individual player jerseys and started selling just the name and the, or the year and the number one. Right. Um, so, so that's what that did. This will do something else. The next thing that will happen will be current players' compensation. That will be the next thing. And probably what's going to have to happen is that, that there will have to be some sort of a union for current college football players. And what it could lead to is the privatization of football specifically as a made football and men's basketball is the two main revenues to the only revenue generators in, in college sports. Um, I think it could lead to the privatization of those two on the college level down the road. Um, I remember talking to Gordon Gee about this years ago when he was at Ohio state, he's at West Virginia. Now I don't know if he has the, the juice or the energy to tackle something like this, but this was something that he believed in then um, that we would get to a fully privatized, you know, athletic departments and it would be, you know, the power five conferences or 70 teams or super conferences, whatever. Um, and it would be all the haves having all the money and everybody else would go back to more of the intercollegiate model. Um, and maybe that's the way that it goes, but this is the Watergate thing, right? Follow the money. The money right. has gotten so big. <laughs> it's gotten so big that it's, it begs to be divvied up more equally. And Ohio State can't keep it all, and Urban Meyer can't keep it all. They need to. This is going to have to get spread out. I mean, Ohio yeah. State has strength coaches making a million bucks or damn near. Um, you know, this is going to. They have a women's basketball coach that makes a million. Like they just spend money to spend money at Ohio State. So there's a lot to go around, and it needs to be divvied up. And this is the next step, but the the one that follows this will be the will be another big one, as big as O'Bannon was, as big as this one will be, and I think it will be. The next one will be even bigger. Well, and to your point about unionization, I mean, that was already, you know, Northwestern may attempt with Kane Coulter going out. And then yeah, they tried, yeah. Put his neck out there. And, and I think you're going to see more of that. I think you're going to see a lot of like-minded college athletes who are like, look, you've got a successful lawsuit. Because, I, I mean, again, I'm not sure that uh, Ohio State can really hold that kind of copyright. I, I feel like Chris Spielman has a pretty legitimate case. I don't know if he'll yeah. win, but I, I feel like he's got a shot. And so yeah. let's say hypothetically he wins that. Well, that's clear, you know, incentive for a current college athlete to go, look, we've already got legal precedent on this. Yes. 
So therefore, we have to push our case. And you're going to have, you know, maybe potential agents in there. You're going to have family members going like, look, there's money to be had here. To your point, you're making, you got strength coaches making a million dollars, not like a lot of these major college programs are hurting for money. Uh, right. If there is legal precedent, there is going to be more attempts at unionization and at uh, athletes getting paid. And I think, honestly, to avoid some of the headaches, that may be the solution that a lot of universities go to. It's like, hey, let's just pay these guys. Yeah. Instead of worrying about these lawsuits, instead of like trying to figure out every single piece of you know like minutia when it comes down to licensing, let's just pay them. And then did not worry about it, and maybe that'll be the the end, you know, to to get that finally done. Because yeah, they'll have to get around Title Nine, which is why they're going to have to privatize. Yeah, it. and um, right, and 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 maybe it's a situation where they're allowed to just profit off of their own image, and and they're not paid outright. But there's got to be some way to put money into the situation that is not flowing entirely to universities and not completely bypassing the athletes. And I know a lot of people hate that because they're like, well, they get the stipends and they get the scholarship, but that's not. In any no, way comparable, <laughs> not in Johnny, any way comparable the kind of money they're generating. How many kids do you know that had full scholarships to Ohio State for academics or for something else or got a scholarship from their town or got there's all sorts of scholarships at Ohio yeah. State? Right. Don't tell me football players, yeah, they get ahead, they get a step up, but 106,000 people for the Oklahoma game are going to pay $200 a ticket to watch them play. Yeah, and no one's spending two hundred dollars to ticket to watch a kid take a math test. I mean, the world isn't fair, right? I'm sorry, yeah. it's not fair. Football's different. It's not. It's not academics, and it's not the women's sport, and it's not men's rifle. Like we can live in this utopia where everybody's created equal, and all the sports are the same, and we're all Ohio State athletes. That's a house of cards, man. It is a house of cards, and it's going to come crumbling down quickly. I think in the next ten years you'll see it. I think the model that has stood the test of time for all these years will come crumbling down. And when you want to know why it did, it's because the money got out of control. Well, it's right. And the, the, the television rights got on, out of control. Yeah. The, the model is based on selling cigarette ads and, you know, football programs from the 1920s, right. 1930s. Like that's what it's based on. It's not right. based on multi-billion dollar TV that's contracts. Right. And it hasn't adapted to the, to the climate, right. the current climate of the sport. The economies of scale have completely changed, and when you're you've got a athletic department with revenues of 150 million dollars a year, it's yeah. not the same as it was in the 1950s and 1960s when a lot of these rules were established. So yeah. I, I think more attempts at unionization are going to be made. Uh, I think eventually one of them is going to stick, unless you know, like I said, the schools try to bite the bullet and figure out some way to pay the players outright, um, which I think to them is eventually going to end up being the least painful solution in a lot of ways. Yes. Because uh, they're going to get more lawsuits like this, and there, it will. Oh. I will not be surprised if you see a current player suing the school for the rights to their own likeness uh, and challenging. Oh that. my gosh! Can you imagine what Braxton Miller's true value was to Ohio State? Yeah, well, right, and and I think I mean, if, if there's any player that realized that, it was Braxton <laughs> Miller. You know, yeah, like, that is not Bra- a what were Braxton was... Miller and, Tr- and Terrell Pryor's true value to Ohio State just right. in jersey sales. Right. Those I mean, kids. millions of dollars. They started selling fives and twos before those kids got on campus. Right. I mean, that's that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. So it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes out. And I'm. it's just hard to wrap your mind around when I saw the actual lawsuit, Spielman v. Ohio State IMG, <laughs> I mean, in a million years. I mean, that's just the craziest damn thing ever. And I'm sure it is to Spiels as well and yeah. probably even to Ohio State. Um, in other... Uh, Ohio State alumni who I enjoy a great deal. Great friend of mine, Scooney Penn, 
who has yeah. been on our podcast. He's done the 11 Warriors television show with us. Um, he has been a regular Saturday guest on my radio show up here for two years. I did television with him for four or five years at 10 TV in Columbus. And I did he, when I when I had when Rothman was off, when he and I were doing the show. And if I could pick who I wanted to fill in, there was there were two guys I always asked for. And it was Scooney Penn and it was Tim May. Uh, those are my two guys. And they couldn't be more different as humans, but I find them both endlessly entertaining. Yeah. And one of the things about Scooney is, and I'll never forget this, when Ohio State, I think it was 2013, they were playing the first round in Dayton. And Scooney and I drove back and forth to Dayton every night from Columbus to do shows for Channel 10 after the NCAA tournament. And he was our analyst. And mm -hmm. I'll inter interject real quickly and say, I think he's the best basketball analyst that I've ever worked with. He's just spectacular. Um, but the reason I'm telling you that story is on those trips back and forth, from Dayton to Columbus. What I got was a basketball education, but beyond that, what I got was an education on one man's love affair with Ohio State and the program. <laughs> and a unique knowledge for what it takes to be successful at the highest level in basketball. And a complete understanding of what Ohio State basketball is. You would never hear Scooney Penn say Ohio State's Kansas. He would never say that. Or right. they're Kentucky. He would never say that. But what he would say is, we're the we're the we're in the next level. We're right below that. And you can win a lot there. And he knows how. This was a brilliant, brilliant hire by Chris Holtman. Uh, I would say that whether I was a friend of his or not, but I'm more inclined to because I am, because I know who the man is. <laughs> I know what he represents, and I know how he'll help. I know how he'll help in recruiting. I know how he'll help with an ear to the ground at the AAU. Scooney Penn is the type of person who can walk up to Jamie Diamond or a Fortune 500 CEO and have a conversation, and he can walk up to the kid on the corner who's got nothing and have a conversation. He's relatable across the economic spectrum and across the racial spectrum. That's rare, and yeah. that's what this dude is, and that's what Holtman got when he added Scooney Penn to his staff. I would be hard-pressed to think anybody would see anything negative in this, anything other than overwhelmingly positive that yeah. one of the great ambassadors for Buckeye basketball is now officially in the program. So Kevin and I talked about this a little bit last week as well. And personality wise, you know, a lot of times I think when you're trying to develop a program and, and put something together, it's really incumbent on the, the head coach to have that identity that everybody kind of looks towards. But I, I think it's also equally important to be able to develop uh, assistants, you know, coaches and whatnot that people can kind of relate to. And especially, you know, recruits who are looking at your program with maybe some skepticism maybe they don't have the highest opinion maybe they're in the aau and they've heard about how ohio state you know deals with younger players you got a guy like scooney Penn that changes the metrics of that a lot it it suddenly makes ohio state a lot sexier than it was you know mm -hmm. five months ago so i think you know obviously it's a great hire he's a really cool dude um Instantly relatable, as you said, and the biggest point of emphasis that I had last week is just, you know, the stuff that he was talking to us last time on the Dubcast about uh, was specifically regarding the AAU and how, mm -hmm. you know, Thad Mata kind of damaged some of those relationships. That's almost instantly healed because of his yep. hire. And, of course, his son being such a huge, you know, guy and like, you know, yeah. not just the fact that he's a great player, but the fact that he's playing on a bunch of different teams and he knows a bunch of different guys and he's going to be in communication with them. I just think it's it's a home run hire and there's really no downside that I can think of to it because the dude is, you know, he's perfectly suited for that position. He will crush this. I mean, in simplest terms, he will absolutely crush it. He'll yeah. be phenomenal at this. No and doubt. I think he'll be a college head coach. 
uh, someday when he wants to be. I think he's got that type of. I think he's got that type of skill set. Speaking of coaching, he's coaching. He coached last weekend in the basketball yeah, tournament. That's right. Ohio did. State is represented by Scarlet and Gray. This was like for me. Uh, this was like putting on like I just this is interesting. It was just like I went back to my parents' house. We went to Montana for last week. That's why I missed the shows. And go back to Montana and like I always have a pair of shoes that I wore when I was in high school that still fit, right? Because <laughs> my foot's been the same size. And I put them on, they're still comfortable. I every time I go back to Montana for the last 20 years, I put them on and I cruise around in them, same thing. That's that to me is what watching that was like. It was like putting on an old comfortable pair of shoes. Like seeing John Diebler hit pull up 35 <laughs> footers. To see Aaron Kraft steal it on the perimeter, box a guy in, lead a fast break, David Lighty get a walkout dunk. I mean, it was, I didn't watch all of it because I've got a million things going on, but I was able to pop in a little bit and check it out. And it was really cool to see. And the, the lasting thing that I'm left from it by is, and we got, I'll get Deebs on in the next couple of weeks, is how in the hell is John Deebler not in the NBA? I mean, he's six 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 seven. He can shoot from 35 feet. How in a league where all they do is shoot threes, and maybe it's his choice. It might be his choice. He's making good money in Europe. He plays it on some great. He plays at uh, Galatasaray in in Turkey, which is a huge club. Yeah, and it's makes like really good money. Yeah, for sure. So I think that I get that, but I think that guy can play in the league. I mean, six seven six eight, and you can shoot it. There aren't a lot of those guys, you know. Yeah. And he's still got. I mean, God, he's still such an elite shooter. He's so much fun to watch. Uh, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. You were able to check any of it out. Uh, a little bit, not, not as much as I would have liked, but I, I really, I mean, it's, it's, as you said, I really do enjoy seeing those guys in action. And I mean, it kind of reminds you about how fun some of that was to see. I mean, it's because you forget, you forget if you don't see it for a little bit. And, you know, deep, I think his last game, he had like 21 points. He led the team, uh, lighting up from three. I mean, that's, that stuff's really fun to watch. Uh, I think the next game is what the 20th, I believe. So yeah, it's in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So in a, in a couple it's of days, in Brooklyn, I think, yeah, they're in like the quarterfinals. So right, I mean, they yeah. can win it. They absolutely can win it. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I forget. Like, I know they've got some other, there's some other teams that are looking pretty decent, but yeah, I think they've got a really good shot at it. And you know, it's, it's just fun. Like it's a cool fun. I think it's a really cool idea. It's a really cool off season basketball, yeah. you know, just, these are the types of things that get us to the off season. And I encourage every second of this stuff. I think it's great. It's not for anything, but you know, who cares? Well, no, it's for 2 million bucks. Well, right. But I'm not, you know, I'm you know what I mean? Like that, that's what's kind of cool is that there aren't many NBA guys in it. I mean, Selinger's an NBA guy, but he's not on a team at the moment. Um, and you know, like they're going to have to probably play a Syracuse team. There's a St. Joe team. Like there's some teams left yeah, um, that got Bradley all these former stars. Winners. Yeah, I mean, they've got all these former stars that, you know, aren't in the NBA, but a $2 million paycheck split amongst, you know, 10 guys and a sponsor, that's pretty good. Everybody makes 50 grand or something, that'd be good. I mean, for some of those guys who aren't making big money in Europe, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That's more money than I have. I can't, I'm not going to hate, you know, if somebody wants to, to shove that money towards my way, I'm not going to really but. You know, it's interesting, some of the dudes on these teams, because it really is such a hodgepodge. Yeah. Um, of players, but it's it's cool. It, it's just fun to watch a lot of these names and all these guys that you haven't thought about or heard of in a long time. And you know, especially regards to Ohio State, it just takes you back to the Mata heyday. And yes, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was so, a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited. I, hope, I really hope they make the finals, and and you know we can yeah. do a whole big thing about it. And I really, I mean, getting Diebler on again would be amazing because I really want to ask him about 
how he's juggling it and how it's going. Yeah, for. yeah, I'll get him on in the next couple of weeks. We'll definitely have him on. Um, okay, so that was the preamble. All of that is a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what comes now is the official Game of Thrones breakdown. Now, right. if you've not watched Game of Thrones, just turn this off because there's going to be a million spoilers and there's going to be a lot of discussion. You have to be up to speed to continue on with the podcast at this point. So we hope you enjoyed your Spielman conversation, a little bit of Scooney, a little bit of basketball. That was all substantive conversation. But this will be equally substantive. It will just be about Game of Thrones. It will be about someone who has just devoured the television show in myself and someone who has devoured the books and the television show in Mr. Ginter. Yes. So that that is the setup. Season seven, episode one, took place on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I view Game of Thrones and live sports the same. They're the only things in my life that are not DVRable. I will watch them both live. I don't care what in the hell's going on. Kids screaming, whatever. The kids get locked in their rooms, and at 9 o'clock I watch. And the reason for that is at 10.06, <laughs> I get 65 text messages. So right. I can't risk it. <laughs> Too big of a risk. Yeah. All right. On season one, on episode one, my over... I have a, an overriding thing that I'm worried about Okay. in terms of how they're going about this. I really felt like, considering we only have 13 hours of television left, that there was a lot of wasted time. I felt that I didn't need to see 20 minutes of Sam figuring out that Dragonstone has dragon glass. Yes. Like, yeah. I, I get it. I don't need to see him. They, the, 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 the montage of him with the with the food and the poop and the food and the poop. Okay. That, that <laughs> bugged me too much. I don't have enough. I got 13 hours of television left. I yeah. can't waste 20 minutes on Sam figuring out what we already know and what he probably already knew anyway. Right. I should have known somebody there would have known. Okay. So that should have been a quicker thing, right? Send the mm-hmm. Raven figure it out. Okay. That's good. So that troubled me a little bit. Um, I thought there were some wasted moments because I, because I've watched the trailer so much. I thought there were some wasted moments in the conversation between Cersei and Jamie, and that basically we already knew all of that, that she was going to establish who the enemies were. So that bugged me a little bit. Overall, I have a negative review and I think you have a really positive, which will lead to good conversation. I don't like how they changed Euron Greyjoy into like a <laughs> hipster. Yeah. I don't, he's kind a little Billy too idol, you know? Yeah. I, Johnny Rotten and, kind of thing. And, and so that all now there's lots I loved the the Arya scene as Walder Frey is fantastic and yes. you love the revenge there. Yeah. Um, I love the the scene in the north when Sansa is questioning John, and then her line to Littlefinger was great where she says save it I know it'll be something clever and basically <laughs> sends him on his way. But mm-hmm. also notice she's keeping him around because she wants to make sure she gets her weight I think in this whole thing. Yeah. Um, the Hound scenes were great. Um, I loved. That was all great. And Danny arriving at Dragonstone was filmed just beautifully. And, but I thought the last line where he said, when she said, should we begin to me, they could have started the episode there because there wasn't a whole lot happened before that. From my view that I thought I didn't, that everybody didn't already know. It almost felt like to me, in case you missed it, here's what happened last week on game of Thrones. That's kind of what it all felt like for the first hour. And so I'll get to my big theory in a second. What were your initial thoughts? No, I, I agree with you on the the point that it's all preamble right now. I mean, they're they're just trying to establish and set things up. And what's interesting, so to your point about Sam, uh, I, I enjoyed the montage, but I'm with you. I mean, you got 13 hours. It's kind of like, okay, let's, I, we get it. It's monotonous. It sucks. You could have established that last year, maybe. 
you know, and showing how much it sucked. But I don't know that you really need, you know, five minutes of that. Uh, what's funny, though, is in the books, so Stannis just doesn't peace out of Dragonstone. When he goes north and, you know, realizes that the true enemy is in the north and the White Walkers and stuff, he doesn't just leave Dragonstone abandoned. Like, he doesn't yeah. just uh, deuces. Uh, in fact, the guy that he leaves behind, he tells him specifically to start mining Dragonglass because he's like, this is something. They built this here for a reason. We need Dragonglass. I don't know why. I just want you to start mining it. We need it. Oh, interesting. So... You could have, you if they had been following that, they could have just had like a garrison of Stannis' guy just chilling out, like saying, hey, uh, we've been chilling out here for the past six months. We don't really know what happened, but here's a huge cachet of dragonglass. They could have done that. Uh, mm-hmm. But they chose, I think, the more indirect route. And, you know, you do kind of worry about that in a TV show like this, where you've got all kinds of threads that you're trying to wrap up that, you know, at the end of the season or end of the series, they're going to end up going, oh, crap, we've got three hours left. <laughs> Let's try to yeah. finish all of this. Um, so that I do worry about a little bit. But part of the reasons why I really like this show is because they're willing to take detours and flesh out the world a little bit. And my favorite part of the show was the stuff with the Hound, with Sandor. Yeah. Um, and revisiting that house that yep. you know he went to with Arya a couple seasons ago. Um, and, and showing that, yeah, they did die. You know, <laughs> like, they yeah. starved to death. And his guilt and self-hatred and every single thing that he said during that sequence was so leaden with character and reflection and just did such an amazing job at showing the evolution of who that character is and and where he's come from like i love writing like that where you have sparse but meaningful dialogue it was just i thought a really beautiful sequence in the entire show um And to me, made up for a lot of kind of the deficiencies in the show. I mean, the, the beginning was was gangbusters, but yeah. you're right. There's a lot of expedition that I don't really care that much about. Uh, I do like the conflict in the North between Arya and Jon. I, I think it's interesting that Jon is uh, just super pragmatic right now and not really caring about the intrigue between all the lords. Like, he just doesn't care. He's already been killed once. He is right. laser-focused on defeating, you know, white death. That's all he cares about. And Sansa understands that it's a lot more difficult than that, that you have to play the game a little bit. And there's going to be friction there. And and what I like about that is that it doesn't feel artificial. It feels like they definitely have two completely different perspectives because of their experiences. And that's okay. Like, if that ends up being a conflict between them during the season, I'm okay with that because I think that's really well established and uh, thought out. So I thought that was pretty good. And I guess my only real complaint about the episode uh, was some of the stuff going on in King's Landing. Uh, I, you know, Cersei's going to be Cersei, you know, I'm not, <laughs> that it's not a surprise. I don't need t- dozens of minutes devoted to her going like, I'm going to get everybody like we know. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much there. Yeah. Uh, it, what other thing that's interesting, the last thing that I'll add is that at this point, uh, basically the, the rift between Jamie and Cersei is complete. So there's a, in the, let's see, in the fourth book of Feast for Crows, Cersei writes a letter to Jamie, basically asking her, asking him for help at King's Landing, and this is when she's going through all the stuff with the the High Sparrow and th- whatnot. And Jamie mm-hmm. basically looks at her letter and then throws it in the fire and says, "Nope, don't care." And that's it. Like they have basically really? severed yeah, their relationship. Stuff. And it's really weird that it's they've allowed that thread to kind of continue, where Jamie and Cersei are still kind of 
getting long, and now Jamie's starting to kind of doubt it a little bit. It just feels really late in the game for that. Um, and I had hoped, I had really hoped that the events at the end of the last season would have made that pretty apparent, that Jamie would have said, I'm done with this, and I'm out. Uh, but it looks like they're going to keep stretching that out a little bit. And that's probably the thing that narratively I'm a little less excited about. All right, so they, this show I would put on par with any show that I've ever seen. I think it's as yeah, it's good great. as any. Fantastic. It's, it's as good as any. I mean, what they've done, the turns they've taken, this is my fear. Uh, did you watch The Sopranos? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Well, for those that did, uh, they did a, a thing, like they did a, a they, they basically strung it out at the right. end. And there's the second to last season of The Sopranos is, is an entire waste of time. And um, <laughs> they basically just created a bunch of television to create television. And on a smaller scale, I, I'm fearful that that's what's going to happen here because we have 13. And I think that maybe that's what this was. This episode was a red flag to me for that. And maybe this won't age well, and maybe it'll be gangbusters from here on out. But what I'm worried about is you've got 13 hours of television. Now you have 12 hours of television. There's really only one bad that matters. And that's the walkers, right? Mm. The problem with it is, is they have no, they're not, they have no personality. There's no character. They're just, they're ice Kings and, and undead and the dead. That's it. So it's not like you can have dialogue with them. Like they're just the ultimate scary thing. Like you can't create, you can't grow their characters. I'm not going to need to see them for the next 10 hours, slowly matriculating through the North around the wall, through the sea or wherever they're planning to do it. I don't need to see all of that. So what I'm fearful that the, that the creators of the show will do, are they're going to try to make Euron Greyjoy who was introduced to television the television viewers of the show at the end of last season that they're going to try to, in the course of this season, make him the really big bad. Mm. And that's a big ask. The other big bads on this show, whether it was Joffrey or Tywin, who was my favorite character on the show or Ramsey were people that were developed over time. Right. And we did not have a full grasp of the white walkers at the time when all of these things were being, we do now we've seen hard home, right? We right. know that this is all nonsense, Right. If they're all fighting for nonsense. We know what these what the what the army of the dead is capable of. Yeah. And I think I'm fearful that in an effort to get 13 more hours of television out of this show, that they're going to stretch out this year on Greyjoy guy and try <laughs> to make him into the big bad this season. And I've already seen it in some of the press, and I'm fearful of that because they really can't make the White Walkers the big bad because there's no character development. They're just an yeah. army of dead. That's fair. That's my Here's- fear. Okay, so here's here's how I think they can make that interesting. If if Yaron Greyjoy is the big bad, um, in the book, you know, if you're writing a novel that's a thousand pages long or eight hundred pages long, because these these books are freaking ridiculously long, mm-hmm. you can establish sort of this creeping dread, right, where mm-hmm. there are hints of what's going on in the background and none of it's good, and you feel like you're 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 caught in the intrigue and you're, you're paying attention to all the political machinations and all this stuff. But then in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but they're ignoring all this and it's freaking me out. And then what George R. R. Martin likes to do is he'll show you exactly what's coming. And then you're like, Oh crap, this is terrible. And it builds this just feeling of dread and, and mm-hmm. you know, fear that he's trying to, you know, elicit in the viewer or in the reader. Um, what I think you can do with the show with Euron is maybe and and maybe this is this is going to be some tricky writing this is going to you know require a lot of finesse on their part but make the viewer understand that this is all window dressing right like mm-hmm. 
Cersei really cares about this. Euron really cares about this. The Greyjoys really care about this. But it's all completely a distraction. And if I'm a viewer, right, and the threat of the White Walkers is made really, really apparent to me, and I'm watching these idiots yeah. doom all of Westeros because they're still dealing with this petty crap, like you want to feel as anxious as John does, right? That's right. So if you can bring John into this and have him as this viewer where he's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You are, you are literally going to kill all of us. Exactly. And I think that, I think if you can develop that dread that John feels and that the rest of the people in the North feel, if you can convince the viewer to be just as anxious as he is, then I think that can work because then your horror at what all these Southern Lords and ladies are getting caught up in to me is much more effective than let's try to make him the big scary guy. Cause I don't think that's going to happen. It's not going to work. I'm not afraid of Euron. I don't think I ever will be. Uh, but if you no, can make I, that conflict seem petty and stupid and useless, it, it's kind of like you're in a horror movie, right? Like a slasher yeah. movie with Freddy and like, you know, everybody's kind of arguing and stuff and Freddy's killing everybody in the background. That's the kind of thing that can maybe, I think, save yeah. that storyline. So we'll see if they can finesse it that way, but I'm not really sure that I have the confidence in them to do that in 12 yeah. more hours. So Yeah, I just don't know if there's enough time. So yeah. And the other thing that's crazy to me is, the Iron Islands were like this nonsensical. I mean, they were just kind of a clown show, right? Yeah, they're Vikings. Like, they're, they're like they, couldn't even, they couldn't even save Theon from Ramsey. Like they were overrun. I mean, she took their best men the, and they went and they couldn't they get it. They got beat by done. like three dogs. That's right. Three dogs beats them. Now, all of a sudden, they can have not one, but two iron fleets that are the best fleets in the world in the yeah. course of what seems like about a year. Well, like, and that's that's stupid. I mean, like, that's that crazy. I don't. Yeah, I think they there's a really failure there. The show because they're uh, really making these Iron Island guys to be like a huge player in the end of this, and they were a bit player for the whole. Now, I'm, now the, again, this is from a television viewer perspective only. Yeah. These guys were a, a kind of this sideshow clown show. No, they are a clown like there was show. no there was no implication that they had this no indication that they had this type of ability to yeah, build fleets. The thing, the thing about the Greyjoys, especially in the books, I mean, maybe this is the fault of the show for ma- not making this apparent. And maybe this is intentional so they could be this flexible. The Iron Islands have no trees. Like it's, these are barren, craggy rocks and outcroppings that have no real natural resources, no trees, no real ability to build tons of ships. Uh, so the idea that the Greyjoys would just suddenly find a thousand ships and build them in a short period of time is laughable. That's they're not capable of doing that. Uh, so that's a that's a cheat that the show has, and I, you know, I can kind of understand why they're doing it because where Euron gets his fleet, you know, in the books is through a combination of raiding and and you know sell swords and buying them off and stuff like that, and it's it's kind of hard to convey that in a television show. But yeah, that's a cheat. They're not really even that great at being pirate Viking guys. Uh, every no, seriously, every time they enter into a protracted fight against anybody. And, you know, this has been talked about in the show. I mean, Yara mentions it a couple times. Every time they've gotten to a protracted fight with uh, either, you know, the Lannisters or the Baratheons, whatever, they've gotten their just asses kicked. Uh, right, Stannis, right. most notably, beat the living crap out of Euron and his younger brother uh, during the, uh, uh, what they call the Greyjoy Uprising. I just destroyed them. 
Um, yeah. So they're not they're not even that great. Um, I, I understand why he's there. I guess you need a new big bad, but I really hope that they emphasize the fact that this is all petty bullcrap and that Cersei is going to doom Westeros because she's caught in this. She still thinks she's fighting the War of Five, King, Five Kings, and that's been over forever. Um, yeah. And I hope they emphasize that point that she is just Wasting basically time. delaying the inevitable. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I get. I mean, you're right. There is a very limited amount of time to show some of this stuff. And I like one thing we haven't talked about. One thing I'm really excited about. I love the fact that Arya is on the loose and wow. <laughs> just she, doing whatever she wants. Isn't uh, her retribution incredible? Yeah, you I know mean, what, what retribution? There's so there's an analog to that in the books. There's Lady Stoneheart, and I, I'm probably not spoiling too much to say that Lady Stoneheart is actually a reanimated uh, Catelyn Stark. Um, right. I've heard George R. R. Martin has is disappointed that they didn't use her. Yeah, they're not going to use her. She's not going to be in the mm-hmm. show. But Arya is essentially f- performing that function in the show, where uh, Catelyn's just going around with the band of brothers, just killing as many people as possible, just hanging them yeah. from trees, murdering in their sleep. Like she's. What happens is when people are brought back from the dead, uh, sometimes things don't go so great. And Catelyn was left in a river for like a week before she was brought back. So now she's basically just a hateful zombie that is going around killing every Lannister that she can see. Um, yeah. and so Arya now is, is a, a fun version that. of that. <laughs> yeah. And gets to wear faces and pretend to be Walter Frey and then poison his entire freaking family. And like, I love that scene. That was, that was yeah. probably my second favorite scene in the entire thing. That was hilarious. That was spectacular. So, I mean, I knew initially, I knew immediately what it was and I knew that it would be satisfying and it was. I yeah. Mean, and you know what, good. Maisie Williams, I am, I'm really growing. I always thought she was a great actress, but I'm really thinking that she's like one of the best actors in the entire uh, show. I, I really, really enjoy how she portrays Arya and does a really great range of emotions. I mean, when she was there with the Lannisters, you could kind of see her with her guard up and then kind of letting it down yeah. a little bit. And it was just, yeah. it was a really well done piece. Infamous of Ed Sheeran cameo. Yeah, a lot of people. Okay, so that's the one thing I want to talk about before we got to get out of here. Uh, a lot right. of people are PO'd about that. Ed Sheeran yeah. is the most Westeros looking dude in yeah, the history really of the universe. Like he is it. scrubby. He looks yep. like he's been inbred through 15 different yeah. generations. I'm cool with it. I have no problem with Ed Sheeran in that, and I thought he was fine. I d- it didn't bother me one bit. Yeah, I thought Slughorn he was fine. You know, hanging out at, yeah. at you know the Maester College. I'm cool with Ed Sheeran singing a song for five seconds. Yeah, I, I th- the only thing I could see where the gripe would be is I don't know if the scene was necessary with this right. I mean, short right. amount of time. And that's I don't fair. know, if, you know, because they have such little time left to yeah. do a lot, it would seem. You probably didn't um, so. need to have it, but it was. I thought it was fine for what it was. And if it took place like three seasons ago, I would have loved it. You know, so yeah. My prediction is that this year will be that they will spend this season dealing with. Well, at the end of this season, will be the elimination of Cersei, and I think there's a decent chance it's going to come at the hand of of Jamie. Um, well, that's the that's that's the prediction, right? Like her yeah. one right. of her I mean, younger yeah. brothers. She always thought Tyrion was going to be the one to kill her, yeah. and you know, she Jamie's going to stab her. Yeah, I think Jamie's to say enough's enough. I'm, I'm, I can't have you. You're not killing anybody else. I'm done. You're, you've lost your fucking mind. So that's it. We're done. And I think um, the other thing was, I think, uh, so I think, and then, then the, net, the last season will be dealing with the war against the dead. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I just, I, I would hope that they would get to it a little bit before that. I would hope that they, I mean, but how you know, long? You know, that's the problem is how long can you fight this war on the dead? Because they don't have, they're not characters. Right. That's the tricky part, man. Yeah. 
You know, you could show in the early seasons when they're showing Taiwan fighting against Rob, you know, there was there you could show both both camps. That's a good point. You can't show think, the White Walker camp. Yeah. <laughs> well, what bothers me though is that I'm just worried that it's going to end up being some kind of Deus Ex Deus Ex Machina with Bran, right? Where he he figures out something, he does something, and then they all vanish or something like that. Uh, right. I would hate that because that would be a really big betrayal of how George R. R. Martin writes. He is very deliberate and and really wants yeah. to show people the effects of war and and things like that. So right. there are no easy answers. And if it ends up being something where Bran goes back in time and and blinks and then you know no more I can't wars, that. then that's that would be that would be unfortunate. So I think they need to show how horrible of a campaign it is against them and and how it affects Westeros because there is no they invade right they get through the wall yes. whatever. That is not an easy fix, right? That is not where we have one big battle or two big battles and then we no. win the war. That should be a campaign. That should be something that yes. takes years to rectify. In the books, there's this you know, oral tradition called the Long Night where the sun literally didn't come out. It was literally nighttime for a generation. Now, that's not necessarily maybe true. It's just a, you know, a story that's been handed down. But the point is, is that it took decades to beat the White Walkers the last time that they invaded. So yeah. it shouldn't be a quick fix. And it, right. I understand that like narratively it would be difficult because you're, you're just kind of right. struggling against these faceless white walkers, right. but you've got to show how hard it is. It cannot be a one and done thing. I don't want to see like Danny just sacrificing herself and then we all were sad and then they went, it, it's gotta be rough. Um, yeah. That's what they've been billed as. They've been billed as this unstoppable walking death and you've got to, okay. you've got to portray them that way. So to give, to give the audience a little bit of a, a glimpse into how much I get into this, I'm pretty sure I dropped an F bomb on this, which I've is. never done, <laughs> which I've never done on a podcast. I've never done a television, radio, anything in my life. And I just did because I was so lost in the conversation. Sorry, we can bleep it out. We'll be fine. No, you can leave it in. Whatever. It doesn't make any, whatever. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's fine. Whatever. It happens. I'm We're in the game. Of bad, whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah. So that, that did happen. Um, all right. So we'll go episode two at the end. Uh, we'll do that next week. And, yep. um, Look, it's going to be great. Uh, I don't want to come off as Debbie Downer. It's going to be great. I just I'm concerned about the amount of time and all that has to be done. That's all. Yeah, yeah all right, buddy. It's, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. I'm excited, and you know, Game of Thrones. I just, God dang it, George R. R. Martin needs to release the next book. Just <laughs> announce, please, the next book because I know it's not going to be anything remotely. Is he two books behind. Yeah, the, I mean, well, he's got two books to go, according to him. So he's got the Winds of Winter, and then I think the last one's supposed to be called like, Time for Wolves. Um, I wonder if I, his whole deal is that he's letting this television show go because he doesn't know if he'll be able to do it. He said that he's, he's elevated not in age, right? Writing. He's not going to write for the television show. He's not going to do any of other side projects until he's done with his current book. Uh, but so far, it's been the longest wait between books out of everything at this point. Yeah. Um, I just think, I think what's happened is that he has been watching the show develop and has changed his mind about some things mm-hmm. and has gone back. And the problem is that when he changes his mind and decides to rewrite some stuff, it has this domino effect throughout every single other storyline because it's yeah. so intricately plotted out and connected that he has to change everything. And right. about a year and a half ago, he made a comment on his live journal account, which I think might be the last li- active live journal account on the internet, uh, <laughs> where he basically yeah. said that he, he was 
thinking about changing uh, the path for a very significant character, like basically rewriting their story. Oh and when gosh. I read that, I was like, oh my God, because I knew, I knew that he was going to rewrite basically half the book. And, do and I think that's what he did. And I, I think, yeah, you know, I think right. he's getting close. He's getting close, but you've got a ways to go still. So, yeah. All righty. Well, well, there you go. Um, all right. We, we we're out of time. We've gone way past. We had like 35 <laughs> minutes on Game of Thrones. That's all right. 35 minutes and an F-bomb out of bow. That's all you're getting for today, kids. There you go. That's all expected. Uh, all right, buddy. We'll talk next week. I'm sh- oh, we've got Media Day. We've got Big Ten yeah. Media Day on Monday. We've got Friday Night Lights on Friday. And we've got Episode 2 of Game of Thrones. So we'll be loaded up next Tuesday as well. I'm excited. All right, buddy. Be good. See you next week. Yep. See you next week.